What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 47 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, May 17th. 2017. My name is Josh Cannon. I'm here with Mike Brown. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing really good, actually. This has been a pretty awesome month for me. Uh, I've been having a good time. I found a lot of uh, items from my Amazon wish list. I've been getting some good deals on stuff. Uh, the pod, the podcast, the podcast, the podcast has been doing great, and. Um, yeah, things have been doing really well. Uh, I just celebrated Mother's Day uh, with my mom and my grandmother, and uh, helped them help my grandmother out on that day. Uh, helped to reorganize her house and uh, got rid of a few things. Uh, got a new, well, not necessarily a new boombox, but a new boombox for me uh, from her. Uh, it was in her closet and she hadn't used it, and it works great, and it makes my cassettes, audio cassettes, sound fantastic. Do you put uh, it? Do you put it on your shoulder as you stroll through the Bronx, like listening to your uh, old break dance? Kind uh, of like- no, I don't do that. But uh, it, it still it still does pump out some really nice uh, sound. Some funky rhythms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's that, and the only you know there's just like little minor sort of things. Like uh, I took my. Uh, test for the driver's permit on Tuesday and I didn't pass, but I get to take another one. Uh, it's because it was different than I thought it was going to be. Apparently there's like word problems now over what? here in Washington. What? Like, scenari- yeah. like scenarios? Like yeah. I seem to recall that being something that I had to go through as well. So I wasn't prepared for that aspect of it. So I barely didn't pass. So I, I think I'll do fine. I'm going to go in and take it again on Thursday and uh, unsolved mysteries related in terms of unsolved mysteries related news uh, for those of you who are in Canada Morgan unsolved mysteries is uh, now available to stream on Amazon Prime Canada yay we have a we have a constituency of Canadian listeners so I know they're probably uh, happy about that if they even know about it I'm sure they do. Um, even England got a damn season of yeah, this off. Yeah, this is weird. Like, this is a, uh, definitely something that is really bizarre. Uh, and I found this out online. I was on the Unsolved Mystery sitcoms online forum. And they were talking about, for some reason, season five of the Robert Stack seasons of Unsolved Mysteries. Season five is on Amazon UK right now. And we don't, and we don't even have season five, right? It is on there. You can see the episode listings and everything. I just you just can't watch it because it'll say you're not in the right area. Oh wow, that's so stupid how they do that. Like I don't I don't understand in this digital age why some places get something before others unless it's solely like a publishing or licensing thing, which it very well could be. But it almost reminds me of like back in like the days where like uh, you know. Back in like the Nintendo days, you know, of the 90s when Japan would get a video game like months before it came to the United States, you know. Yeah. Kinda well, there's some some games that were only in Japan, like yeah. Back to the Future Part 2, the game that actually doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Super Famicom is the only legitimately good Back to the Future game on the older consoles. 
and that was only released in Japan. Yeah. So my week has been uh, pretty good. I think like last week I was, I'm not going to lie, and I, I didn't tell you this, Mike, because like I didn't, I don't know, I didn't want to bore you with my, my yeah. personal life, but um, I had this like wedding that I was like kind of dreading that I had to do on like uh-huh. last Saturday. So last podcast, I was like so stressed out anticipating that day because I had three gigs that day. And I am just so relieved that that's over. I'm a lot more relaxed than I was last week. I had this wedding that I had to do in this uh, in St. Augustine, which is a city that's close to mine. And uh, I had to be there. The ceremony started at 11, so I had to be there at like 9.30 a.m. I haven't, I haven't seen 9.30 a.m. in years. I mean, the only time I ever see that early of an hour is when I wake up to like use a bathroom or something, and I go straight back to bed. So... I was really kind of stressed out. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit and routine, so I was not looking forward to. You know, I normally go to bed at like 5 a.m. I wake up at like you know noon or one o'clock. I, I I'm a DJ. You know what I mean? Like I don't get home yeah. until 2 a.m. sometimes. So of course I'm gonna. Of course I'm not gonna go to bed by 9 p.m. Like nine to fivers have to do. But yeah, I did that, and then right after that, I had to DJ my. 10-year high school reunion. Uh, that, at first, it was so awkward. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you, you were the DJ at your high school reunion. Yeah. Wow, that, so, that would be really awkward. Yeah, because, like, it, it wasn't some vendor that nobody knew. Like, they all went to school with me, and I was just, like, all just, like, over there, like, many, many feet away from everyone else, and I was just playing music. And first of all, I went to a private Christian school with, like, 98% white kids, I don't know what music to play for these people. I really don't. As a DJ, sometimes you kind of got to like look at your audience and stereotype like what you think they're going to want to hear and play it. And nine times out of ten, it works. I mean, it, so you're just thinking they wanted to hear a Christian rock. Well, I didn't know because like, I don't <laughs> know like how many of these kids like identify as Christian. Like how many of them just had to were yeah. forced to go to the school because their parents. So I didn't know what music to play. Uh-huh. Obviously, I played a lot of music from 2007, the year that we graduated. Um, uh-huh. and, and I don't know. I just I just pick shit. You know, I. I before I knew it, I was throwing in like Vanilla Ice and uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot's like Baby Got Back, <laughs> just for just for the irony factor, you know. I didn't know, I had no idea what these people listened to, but I mean, it was. It, so, you, so you're playing like Ice Ice Baby and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and like because uh, I'm white, white baby. Yeah. Din, 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 din. So very white, white baby. I love that parody on In Living Color uh, that Jim Carrey did. Oh, that yeah. actually is one that ne- didn't end up on the DVD sets because Why, of for... music issues. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was only aired on television uh, when it originally aired on Fox and on reruns on FX. Well, I mean, hell, even <laughs> Vanilla Ice couldn't even, uh, you know, cash in on that song because he, he lifted it from Queen, you know? So. Yeah, the whole the whole infamous interview where he's like, you know, no, 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 man. Ours is different. You know, it's like there's goes din 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 din. You see, my our song is different. You know, it goes din 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 din. See that there's that little difference. No, it was like it's a. No, I know what you're talking about. It's like a little percussive hit at the end. It's like din 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 din. And he's like that little that little hit, man. It's not the same. Not it's not the same. same. It's not like you're you are a fucking moron. You must be Justin Bieber's father. Uh, d- d- like 
that is just a 90s I've, Justin Bieber if I've ever I've seen it. Bernie's metal cover of Ice Ice oh, Baby. Oh, God, no, I don't want to talk about that. Let, going so back bad. to the 10-year reunion, though, um, it, it ended up being fine. It ended up being, like, cool. I saw some old familiar faces. Uh, it, it's crazy. Some of the people, like, aged, like, really bad, and some people, like, look exactly the same. It was crazy how, like, age affects I'd people. I'd probably look ex almost exactly the same if I went to my reunion. I don't think anyone sent me anything. I wasn't really a popular kid, so I wouldn't be surprised if I don't get any well, sort dude, of... Well, uh, dude, I'm telling you this right now. The popular kids... For at least for my reunion, weren't the ones who showed up. It was all the the kind of middle of the road kids, not necessarily what who would you who you would call like the dorks or the losers or the whatever the yeah. fuck. But it was kind of just those middle of the road kids that like you know no one re you didn't really have much of an opinion on one way or the other. Those were mainly the people that showed up to my reunion. Uh, none yeah. of, none of my crew showed up. Uh -huh. because they all live in different cities like they they literally all my group of friends all got the fuck out of jacksonville except me <laughs> which makes me feel kind of lame but whatever <laughs> um so i did that and then after yeah. that gig i had to go straight to another gig on so saturday was a really crazy day for me so pretty much ever since saturday i've been just a lot more calm and just glad I got that out of the well, way I, I feel better too because i've been kind of busy uh lately as well to the point where I actually think I was getting exhausted and all of it was just like just doing stuff with my parents and doing stuff with my family. Uh, you'd be surprised how much how exhausting that can kind of be. I mean, I spent one night uh, helping my stepdad uh, fix some potholes uh, around the area where he works. There were some really bad potholes and we shoveled gravel out the back of his pickup and, you know put it on the in the potholes because the state for some reason won't do anything about it but it makes sense because it's some area on a railroad something and they don't give a shit but uh so we decided to help out though for the car haulers who come in and, and drive on that road and then the next day it's it's mother's day i believe so i had to get up super early in the morning and then go to my grandmother's and then help her move all this other stuff and so yeah it, it's been kind of crazy uh, but lately I've had more, more time to kind of slow things down and, and get good sleep. Yeah. Folks, there's a difference between getting sleep and getting good sleep. Uh, you probably know that already. <laughs> I mean, there's times where you could be like, oh, I got like five hours of sleep, but in between it's like two hours of like rolling around or waking up or just something not working. Uh, and, and you're not really able to get to sleep, not able to get good sleep. So I finally have gotten some good sleep, and, and I definitely feel better because of that. But anyway, uh, let's get right into it, shall we? We well, have before, a new... Before we do that, before we do that, I quickly want to give a shout-out to... Uh, I was Mike, I cheated on you, and I cheated on the podcast. I was on another per, uh, podcast, actually one of our listeners. Uh, you, might, oh. you might find this uh, inspirational, Mike. Uh, we were his inspiration to start a podcast. His name's Zachary, wow. Zachary Weber. And he has a Star Wars podcast called uh, the Star Wars Junk. That's the name of the podcast, cool. Star Wars Junk. I was on one of the episodes recently, yours truly. So if you haven't had enough of my voice yet in your head and you want to hear me talk about Star Wars, why, why wouldn't you not want either of those things? I don't know if that sentence... That wasn't a sentence I just said. And anyway... 
check him out on iTunes. You can find him on iTunes and other places, too. Um, but, yeah, that, it was super fun. And you know what, Mike? He wants you on there next. So uh, you being the movie guy, you definitely need to, to get on that podcast. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's really good at it. Because, you know, folks, sometimes it sounds easy, what we're doing. Sometimes it sounds like, oh, these two idiots. I can do this. Yeah, try it. Try it, motherfucker. It's trickier than you think. Doing a podcast is trickier than it sounds. There's a lot more that goes into it than how we make it come off. And um, Zach's already a professional at it, so he did, he did a good job. Cool. Awesome. So you should go on that. But uh, yeah, anyway, what were you saying? I was just saying, let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, we oh. actually have a new uh, setup for the podcast, folks. Um, I, I think you're going to like it. Yeah, we're going to do two segments from Unsolved Mysteries, and then we're going to do a new segment we call News of the Bazaar. And that's going to have some echoey shit and all that when I uh, do it in post. And I'm not even going to edit out me saying that just then. Because, you know, like... having It's live. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's not, but right, right now it technically is. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about some weird shit in the news, you know? Just weird shit, weird, um, I don't know, movements, weird, like, things. Anything that's kind of weird or just kind of outside, like, outside of the realm of just the normal stuff you'd hear about on your 6 o'clock news We'll be talking about that. So, and also, it's a good thing too because we're not burning up three segments per episode. It's less work on me because, like, I was usually I was doing two segments. Mike was doing one. Sometimes Mike would do two, but uh, it took a lot of time, and and it's just better overall to only do two segments of uh, unsolved mysteries because there are only so many segments, and we we would, don't want to burn through them all. Yeah, and eventually that would happen. It happened. I did the math, and it would happen on like episode three hundred or something. We'd finally run out, but still, now we'll go even longer because we'll have more stuff to talk about. And I mean, there's like five hundred and seventy-two segments, I believe, and that's counting like all the lost loves too. And I don't really want to talk about any of those. And, and that's dude the except except a couple there's a couple yeah. that i wouldn't mind talking about um like the army guy who was rehabilitated by this nurse and he went in and tried to tried to find her um but you gotta that figure one. that's probably there's probably at least 200 lost love there's segments. a couple of them there's two of them right off the top of my head that i definitely wouldn't mind discussing someday but all right, we're getting into our first segment here. We have Craig Williamson. This was a request. Uh, again, I'm a professional, so I didn't write down who wanted the request. Well, it's one that we have actually talked about and mentioned, but not really. We haven't really name dropped his name, but like we've mentioned the case before, and it's one that we've always really wanted to talk about anyway. So. Um, I think the other two segments yeah. that we've name dropped the most that that we've yet to talk about has been Marcos's Buddha and the drug runner who ran the drugs on the underground yeah. tunnel. Those are two that we yeah. never exactly. we've never gotten around to talk about, but we God we've referenced them so much in the past. Those might be next week's uh, segments. Who knows? <laughs> um, so this is a great one. Um, it starts out with Robert Stack on camera going, um, "Your husband goes on a business trip." You speak to him the night before he is due to come home and you never hear from him again. What are your choices? Do you sit at home waiting for police in distant cities to call you back? Or do you do something yourself? Christine Reinhardt of Clintonville, Wisconsin decided to do something. Her search for her husband Craig has become an all-consuming quest. 
Christine's quest began on September 14, 1983 in Colorado Springs, Colorado, in the motel where Craig Williamson was last seen. Christine and an employee checked out Craig's room where he last stayed at, and there was no signs of struggle, no signs of forced entry, nothing, no clues. Craig Williamson was nearly 46 and Christine Reinhardt 41 when they married at Lake Tahoe. It was a second marriage for both Craig and Christine, and they had only known each other for about a month, but it was love at first sight. Christine still speaks of their marriage in the present tense. Quoting Christine, Being married to Craig, it may be cliche to say honeymoon, but it is. He's such a sincere, caring person. I think the thing that is most endearing about Craig is his caring, nurturing attitude towards me. He's so supportive, very loving. Christine and Craig purchased a farm in Wisconsin, Christine's home state, and undertook an immediate renovation. They added on to the barn, installed large tanks, and I love this phrase because Robert, St Robert Stack actually delivers this line. He goes, and began to raise exotic and tasty fish called tilapia. Yeah. I just love hearing <laughs> Robert Stack say, raise exotic and tasty fish called tilapia. Like, they I'm just imagining Robert Stack... Uh, running his own like fish farm or working at like a, a fish and chips place with the same facial expression, same yeah. suit, like just would, like with a. An would apron. you like some exotic and tasty fish uh, <laughs> named tilapia? <laughs> if I was a customer going up that tilapia stand, I'd be like, "You sir, are in the wrong business. You should be a host of some kind of like mystery show or something. You have an amazing voice and you have a very dignified look about you." Yeah, I'll have the tilapia. Anyway. um... Craig rigged an old school bus to transport the fish. On August 28, 1983, Craig loaded up the bus and set off for Colorado, even though he was still experiencing headaches and blurred vision due to a concussion that he experienced four weeks earlier. Christine was quoted as saying, Every time I'd rub his head, he'd say, Honey, don't do that. That hurts. So I knew he was still suffering from it because I'd say, You have a headache, don't you? And he'd say yes, and... He wouldn't really admit it, but I'd see him taking aspirin all the time. This is really where, like, I had seen this segment quite a few times before, but this this particular moment didn't really register for me until I saw this segment again uh, before we started recording today. And I think there was already something going on before he ended up losing his memory. And, and I think he had a his head injury was obviously more severe than he thought it was because if you're having headaches, if you're having, if you're dealing with all of that still, um, that's pretty bad. Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think she should have taken him to the hospital to be honest. If something happens to you and you get a concussion, you know, and four weeks go by and it still hurts to even touch your head. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that you probably should have sought medical attention for. And they don't really clarify if he did or not, but given his personality, we'll later learn that he's he wasn't really the type to go to the hospital for anything. No. It reminds me of my uncle, who's just super tough, doesn't go to the hospital for anything. He actually had his sternum cracked by a horse that kicked him in the chest. And he just stayed because they were my aunt, and my uncle, they were uh, camping somewhere, I think, in uh, Arizona or something. And they had their horses with them and they were out in the middle of the desert somewhere. So he didn't he didn't go to the hospital, didn't do anything yet. They finished their camping. He finished the camp trip, camping trip with a broken sternum and then got it treated after they got back home. 
That's crazy. You know, a lot of people say that, uh, you know, men don't like going to uh, the doctor or the hospital because they don't like, you know, admitting something's wrong and seeking help and all that, and women are more likely. For me, I don't like going to the hospital or the doctors because it's a fucking hassle. Like, setting up the doctor's appointment, having to drive all the way... Well, my doctor's office is pretty far away from where I live right now, so driving, having to drive all the way over there, sitting in the waiting room, going in, talking to the doctor... You know, it's, it's just a hassle, you know? I mean, and honestly, too, it is a little, you know... It's a little freaky going in there because it means that something's not right with you. So it's, it, I think, yeah. I think people don't associate the doctor's office with happy thoughts like you would associate, like going to the mall. You know, you might be like, oh, <laughs> I go to the mall and I buy things and eat in the food court, so I have happy associations with the mall. You know, it's not like unless that. you're a masochist, a sadomasochist or something, then you know, like Bill Murray's character in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, I've never seen that movie, Mike. Is that a big surprise? No, it's not. So anyway, back to the uh, segment here. Um, in Colorado Springs, Craig rented a car for business appointments. At 9 p.m. on August 30th, the night before he was supposed to return home, he and Christine spoke for the last time. Craig was a 1,000 miles away from the farm in Wisconsin when he disappeared in Colorado Springs. The next day, his credit cards were discovered in a market in El Paso, Texas, 675 miles south. In Juarez, Mexico, just over the border, his car was abandoned. Once again, there were no signs of foul play. So Detective Robert Johnson headed the investigation in Colorado. But his wife Christine chimes in by saying, I truly believe that Craig walked up to his rental car and someone came up behind him and hit him on the head. And this is completely keeping in character with Craig, is that he'd get up and he wouldn't go in and say, I'm hurt, help me. He'd say, I have to get on with things. I'm supposed to be doing something. I have to get back. And he'd wander towards the bright lights of the parking lot, and then the interchange, and then he'd wander off from there. What what kind of person does that? You get hit in the head, and then you're like, well, I gotta get on with my life. I gotta get going. I mean, I can understand it to a certain extent. Screw the hospital. I I can get it. (laughs) I can understand that to a certain extent, because I'm like a major control freak. And like, I remember when I got into like a really bad car wreck, like right in the like pulling into my parents neighborhood one time yeah. uh when when my truck was like you know when i like the truck got i got uh, thrown against a telephone pole and i actually was pinned the truck door was pinned against the phone pole i had to climb out the window because the door wouldn't open and uh-huh. like immediately i was like i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine you know like telling myself that i was okay even though obviously i probably should have went you know needed to go to the hospital but like i so wanted to just like keep the day flowing normally i didn't want to have this life-changing event really be happening to me so i was just like i'm okay i just have a few scrapes you know whatever and turns out i did just have a few scrapes i didn't have any other because i was wearing my seat belt. If, if you knew that you got hit in the head really hard you you, uh, some, you know some that. people man some people just want to maintain control and they don't want to be like, you yeah. know, uh, they don't want to derail their plans. You know, I they- guess I was looking, you know, I just I don't relate because I was a complete opposite when I got hit by the car when I was crossing the street when I shouldn't have. And I flew 15 feet in the air and did a flip. Well, yeah, I mean, in that case, 360 it's hard. degree flip it's and kinda- then landed face first on the asphalt. 
The only thing I was thinking about was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't wanna die. <laughs> in that case, it's different. You know, that's that's a very, you know, uh, but I think a hit in the head, you might be able to pass that off as I'm, I'm all right. You know, whatever. But anyway, the moment I start feeling blood trickling down the back of my neck, that's the moment where I'm like, yeah, definitely not. OK. <laughs> so TV stations in Colorado and Wisconsin started to cover Craig's story. And then a few days later, a retired nurse came forward named Judy Inman. Uh, Judy Inman believes she saw Craig Williamson confused and disheveled on a train two weeks after he disappeared. The train was traveling through Washington State to Montana, where Craig and Christine first met. Um, as qu- Quoting Judy here, she says, These two drunks were harassing him. I was just wishing they'd all three shut up so we could get some sleep. When he walked up the aisle and he, and he didn't say anything, but there was something that he wanted. I gotta get the fish. That's what he was saying in the reenactment. <laughs> I, I, I love this reenactment. It's so spot on. And uh, it, it just, it really does sum up how strange this case is. He's just like, I gotta get the fish. I, I gotta get the fish. And he kept talking about this fish that he had to pick up, and he was talking about this. Um, big building uh, where these huge fish tanks were in and, and these drunk guys kept saying uh, how, how are you going to catch the fish and he was saying oh you aren't going to catch a fish like that here in fact you wouldn't find a fish like that in the United States that man definitely had something wrong with him he was absolutely not drunk and I knew he was not mentally retarded her words not mine I know he definitely had some kind of head injury because I've taken care of patients with head injuries and the, the difference between a mentally retarded person, a drunk person, and someone with a head injury, and he definitely had a head injury. And then the reenactment again shows him saying, I gotta get back to the fish. (laughs) (laughs) How he said it was like just really funny. I I, I love that line. Um, So Christine, going back to her, Christine just knew that had to be Craig based off of uh, Judy's story. So she set off on an expedition paralleling Judy Inman's trip on the train from Montana through Washington State finally to Portland, Oregon. Over in your neck of the woods there, Mike. Yeah, she, I grew she, up um, in the Portland area. Yeah, She photographed every train station along the way. And on December 6th, uh, 1983, Christine met Judy for the first time and uh, showed Judy the photos that she had taken of the train stations. Now, I just have to interject here. How the fuck do people have the money to just go on these expeditions for a few days or a week or a few weeks and just search for someone like that. Does this lady not have bills? Does she not have a, a job she has to do? Like, how how did, how did, how did she afford Maybe to do Maybe she has a good amount of money. Maybe she's got a lot of money saved up. Uh, we don't know how, what her income is. Seems like she's rather well off. I don't know. I mean, they have a And also, and ticket sold... prices Ticket prices might have been a lot cheaper back then. Well, she didn't go on the train. She she took her car, and she paralleled the, the, the yeah, train. Yeah, so she didn't get on the train. She took her car. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I like, when I, I Gas guess... Gas prices weren't as high, if I remember correctly, back then. Well, actually, now, uh, the prices of gas have stabilized since, like, the, the yeah. few years ago when they were, like, yeah. almost reaching $5 a gallon. Uh, now they're almost, like, I mean, they're not... And also, money was... I, I would say the uh, cash actually was worth more back then than it is now i don't know i every time i hear stuff like this being the kind of guy who's like chained to my five gigs a week I, i'm just like how, how does anybody take any time off without like you know uh, i guess people have better jobs than i do <laughs> Make they more said money than I do. business of fish farming that 
Sounds like they made a lot of money. I guess if they were able to do all those upgrades and all that, they must have had some kind of surplus coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Judy identified the uh, Wishroom, Washington uh, train station near the Oregon border, um, saying like that's that's the that's where he got off. That was the uh, train station where Craig got off. And Christine believes Craig might have mistaken Wishroom for w- Washul, a city he lived in in the Washugal. 19- Oh, you know what what one they're talking about there? Yeah. Oh, got some. See there, got some local uh, local knowledge there from Mike because he knows uh, knows the city there. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, maybe not. Uh, whatever. I tried. That was a city he lived in in the 1980s. So Craig's son, who they only mentioned this one time, and he's not interviewed in this whole segment, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, Craig's son plastered a poster around uh, posters all around this area, but no new clues surfaced. And then his wife comes back in saying, it was absolutely terrible to drive back here after looking for Craig for six weeks. God damn, she must have had a fortune saved up. Uh, to look for Craig for six weeks. Uh, this place was so cold and empty, and everywhere I look, things remind me of Craig all the time. Now, I mean, you know, it's one thing for me to sit here and quote this lady, but you really have to watch the segment to yeah. truly understand, like, how obsessed with this guy that she was, for better or for worse. I mean, yeah. almost, to a, uh, almost to the point of, like, maybe she comes off as kind of suffocatingly obsessed with this guy sometimes. Maybe that's- I, I don't see it that way. I just see her as someone who really loves him and and cares for him deeply and wants him to be found and wants to be reunited with her husband that she loves so much. And you can see it in her face and in her emotions when she's uh, talking in this particular sequence. And admittedly, you know, it, it, it is one of those things that does get me a little bit choked up when I see that. But the thing that really gets me is the update. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I guess for me, coming from a severe commitment phobe that I am, uh, I, I I hear this lady talk, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, geez, if I was this guy, I couldn't couldn't wait to get a break from this <laughs> this chick because she's just like, you know, like I mean, if if that's how she is when he goes missing, I wonder how like up his ass that she'd be like when he's there you know like uh, she might not be you know, know some people are different you know there some people are not at all like you think they might be uh when you just see them when they're in a moment of i need to find my loved one she's definitely uh, the polar opposite of dotty carroll's husband the guy who was when she went missing the husband who was like well since she's been gone i moved away yeah, things have calmed down and uh, things are going pretty good. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely the polar opposite well, of that guy. You can also make the argument, you know, it is it is true that women actually, you know, they are more in tune with their emotions uh, than a lot of men are. So that could be uh, something that comes into play as well. And I'm not being sexist. This is a biological fact. Isn't it sad that like you you can't even say a positive generalization about somebody without like feeling like you're offending somebody nowadays like that like women being more in tune with their emotions that is to me is not a negative stereotype but you still felt the need to say i'm not being sexist that's like the fucking world we live in now yeah it really is i mean you can't say anything without being like oh god i don't want to trigger anybody or offend anyone but yeah anyway that's a whole nother conversation so today christine reinhardt has no choice but to sit around and wait the farm is closed, the fish tanks are empty, 
but Christine will never abandon her quest. Quoting Christine here, I can't give up. I'll never give up. I'll just constantly look for him until the day I die or he's found. Those are the only two options. I know he's alive. I know someday I'll find him. The trouble is, I don't know when. I just have to hang on. The hardest part is hanging on. Now, it would be one thing if we ended there. You know, this would be an okay case. Yeah. It'd be a little below average, honestly. Uh-huh. But what takes this case up to 11 is this crazy-ass update. All right? Strap yourselves in. I mean, even Robert Stack himself, when in this update segment... Even he is in awe yeah, of the circumstances here. So, I mean, they even had to bring in Keely Shea Smith for this one. They're bringing, in, yeah. they're bringing in the extra guns. All hands on deck for this update, folks. Um, so, shortly after the broadcast, Christine's long odyssey finally came to an end. But it was far from the joyous conclusion that she had hoped for. Here's Keely Shea Smith for more details. <laughs> I'm not going to try to impersonate Keely Shea Smith, who's married to Pierce Brosnan, by the way. Um, After seeing himself on the program, Craig phoned Christine from Key West, Florida, where he was working as a handyman. He was now going by Ron, and he bore little resemblance to the man Christine remembered. Uh, Quoting Christine again, the phone rang, and and he said, hello, Christine, this is Craig. And it didn't really sound like him. He sounded like a shell of himself, from the fra- but from the phrases he used, I knew it was Craig. But his voice was really, really weak, and I was just shaking. I was in total shock. Craig Williamson recounted a harrowing tale. All he could remember was that he was attacked by an unknown assailant in Colorado Springs. What followed were two years of severe amnesia, painful headaches, and frequent blackouts, and two years of no sense of who he was. Now it actually has the man himself, uh, Craig Williamson, coming in, saying, When I saw this thing on Unsolved Mysteries, I realized that I was Craig Williamson, but I didn't know who Craig Williamson was. I knew that he had a family someplace. I knew that he was married. I didn't know that he had a fish farm. I didn't know a lot. In September of 1995, Craig and Christine had met in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Christine hoped that a tour of the area where Craig disappeared would jog his memory. In the end, Craig remembered nothing, and the reunion that Christine had dreamed of ended in a bittersweet parting. Christine is quoted here saying, Neither Craig nor I are the same people we were two years ago, before all this happened. We're still very good friends, and we're always going to stay connected, but we can't go back. He's not there. He doesn't have any sort of emotional attachment anymore, and I just have to accept that. Then Craig comes in. We're not the same people. We still love each other, we still care for each other, but we've decided it's best we go our separate ways and still be friends. And we still love each other, but we're not the same people that married. Now, uh, I gotta say... I mean, when I first saw this segment, I was just shocked. It was stunning. I I gotta say... It came out of left field and just smacked me right in the face. (laughs) Now on Craig's part, now, now let's, let's let's get things straight here, okay? According to Christine, Craig has no memory, no emotional connection, whatever. Then you got Craig saying that we still love each other, we still care for each other. Well, he's probably being 
kind. But you just said you didn't rem- you don't remember any of it. You know, he's he's being kind because he knows how much he means to her. So he doesn't want to really cause any more uh, grief or any more so, so depression like, on her part. So you feel like he's just he's, you feel like he's just playing along. I yeah. It's weird to me because I mean I, that that there would might be, be some residu- residual sort of connection there, but he doesn't remember enough to really make it uh, stick. It's kind kind of like uh, when those uh, lost you have those lost love segments when the siblings who have been separated for so long they reunite with one another and they're all like, oh, it's like we never left. It's like I've always known that my brother or my sister. Yeah. It's that type of connection that's just under the surface. It's always there. The thing that it, it, it is absolutely one of the most heartbreaking cases on Unsolved Mysteries. And definitely one of the most heartbreaking updates. Because usually the update is, all right, they caught the guy. Cool. Or they found the person. Or, you know, you have the sad ones where, okay, the person's dead. Or you have the one, the lost love segment where the guy finds out where his daughter is, but she's dead and she died in some tragic accident. I think it's a cruel, it's very cruel. It is. You know? It's, it's, I, don't, I don't even know if I would say it's cruel. I would just say it's 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 shocking. Well, it's cruel for her because... Well, well yeah, I mean, I don't even know if cruel is the right word for it because it's not like Craig is mean-spirited towards her or anything. I mean, he just got hit in the head and that further exasperated or, you know, further intensified the head injury he already had. I firmly do believe that he would not have went and had as much severe amnesia as he did after he was mugged, if he had gotten treatment for his previous head injury, let's go down another path here, real quick. Like let's 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 think about this another way. What if Craig used the head injury as a convenient excuse to get away from his wife? He plans this trip knowing that he's going to leave her, and he uses this. I- I don't buy that at all because of the the recollections from the lady who was talking about she saw Craig on the bus and he's like I got to get back to the fish. He was clearly yeah, in maybe. some kind of uh, uh, mental, not really mental, but clearly, clearly dealing with the effects of some kind of head injury. I don't buy that. But that that the crux of all that is relying solely on Judy Inman's uh, testimony, essentially. And she's some lady who saw a story on a news program and, and said, oh, I saw, uh, you know, somebody that I think that is this guy. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. No, it doesn't necessarily it like, mean it. But I'm just I mean, I'm just why saying. would someone be like, I got to get back to the fish and then fits the description and is completely... You know, been, it, dude, there have been so many times where things it, like that it, have it, happened. It could totally be bullshit, but I, I don't really buy it. I know, but I, I, I just it. think it's, I don't know. It, 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 to me, the fact that he was, he, for him to, for him to be this bad off to where he doesn't remember his wife, he doesn't that remember a farm, but yet he still has the f- uh, faculties about him to find his way to Key West, to get a job. You know, uh, well, he did that later after the two years of amnesia wore off. 
He was probably wandering around. He wasn't in Key there's West right away. About his side, there's something about his side of the story that smells a little of bullshit to me. A little bit. And then at the end to say, we just decide to go our separate ways. We're not the same people. We still love each other. We still care. It's like... That might have been something that he was asked to say for the broadcast as well. Yeah, but to me, it's just kind of like, why couldn't you just be honest and be like, honestly, I have no idea who this person is. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I apologize. There's so many maybe other... Maybe just am- a person like that. Maybe he just doesn't want to hurt her feelings. I know. I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that are going on here, but... To me, it just it just feels like uh, there's just something on his side that just smells a little of, of bullshit. So Christine kind of caps off the update by saying, Everything I've done has been worth it. The search, all the effort I put into trying to find Craig was worth it. I would do it all over again, and I can't imagine doing it any other way. Really? You would do it all over again? You sure you're not just trying to save a little face by saying that, you know, on national television, that you would do it all over again? Knowing what I know, you know I would now. want to do it all over again, knowing that's how the search is going to end. I, I know that. If I knew that that's what essentially, that, if I knew essentially the person I was searching for broke up with me f- for whatever reason and is, not, is no longer wants to be in my life, I would go through the grieving process at my damn house and not spend the money, take six weeks off my life. Uh, he didn't just break up with her. He had a head, a severe head injury. Well, essentially, that's what happened, though. I mean, he, they are no yeah. longer together. He has no more. Yeah. He has, he, it's the same thing that happens with a breakup. You go through pain. But there's that added aspect of it that it wasn't actually. It wasn't on purpose. It, it wasn't on purpose, and he wasn't cognizant. Or so, or so uh, he you says. Know. You know, I don't know if I believe it. I really don't know if I believe his side <laughs> of the story. I, I, I don't know. I just... Do like watching these cases for so long and doing these cases on the podcast, you start to you start to learn about some fantastical kind of crazy shit that you would think there's no way someone did all that, but they did. Sometimes people do yeah. all those things. Yeah, but I, I just I didn't get that vibe from this segment. Well, I've learned to be a lot more skeptical now. Um, not of UFOs, because you know I <laughs> totally believe in those, regardless. But um, I like saying that now just to piss off some some of the people who review our podcast, because some people have been like, "These people are way too believing of things like UFOs and stuff like that." So I, now I just like it became. At first, it was just kind of a joke thing, but now it's like I, I'm just trolling at this point. But um, <laughs> it, it yeah. But I mean, I think for Christine, it's it's like it it sucks the worst. I mean, she ends up losing on this one. But you know, in the update, she, in the original segment, she comes across as sad but hopeful, and yeah. you know, kind of devastated. In, in the, the update, up- she's extremely devastated. In the update, she's defeated. In the update, yeah. she she's speaking in a t- in w- there's there's more resolve to her voice that this has ended and I do need to mm-hmm. move on. And it's really, it's it's like the craziest way to end something because it's like, it's like the person's not dead, they didn't technically cheat on you or anything like that. How do you handle losing a, a loved yeah. one due to amnesia? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I know exactly. It is one of the most unexpected resolutions to a, an unsolved mysteries case that I can think of. There's no protocol for that. 
You know, it's not like you can go to your mom or dad or friends and be like, oh, don't worry, honey, I, I lost my husband to amnesia too. He just doesn't remember me anymore. You know, it's like nobody... I mean, when you think about it like that, you know, like that, I mean, it does seem rather unlikely that the chances of that happening are pretty low, that somebody would just have amnesia to the point where they don't remember who their wife is. But, I mean... Crazier things have happened on this show, and and I guess, or cr- things that are just as crazy. So I guess I just buy into it. I mean, if there's more evidence that arises that kind of shows no, that there won't be. I mean, I'm sure this exactly. case, this case is closed. You know, no matter even even if he did choose to like, even if he did later on admit, yeah, actually it was all a big, you know, like elaborate ruse and. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, they're not going to tell us about that. That's just going to be their personal business at that point. Because, no, and then, you know, the reason why they even took on his story in the first place was that he was a missing person, you know, and then it turned out to be amnesia or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was that's a great case. Very emotional. Very uh, it's like a, a real mind fuck, you know, because, yeah, God, just put yourself in that position, you know, like ha- like that's that's just crazy. There's no way you can prepare for that. So the next case that we're going to be talking about here is one that Mike selected. Yes, it's one that I picked. It's one that I honestly been wanting to talk about for a while now. And I guess I just confused it with other cases and I thought we already talked about it. But apparently that is not the case. And And even if it was, I don't care because (laughs) I got more shit to say. This will be better than the last one because this this would have been one we did like a long ass time ago. And yeah. I, I think if that was the case, this case deserves better. So anyway, this is the case of Dale Kerstetter. This is one that always stood out to me because it is definitely mysterious. It is puzzling. It really makes you scratch your head after it's over, and there still is no resolution to it. It is still an unsolved mystery. So Dale Kerstetter uh, is a older guy. Well, he was an older guy around the time. Uh, He weighed about 130 pounds. He was about five foot four. And he was an employee of this platinum uh, glass, you know, glass plant. It was a glass plant and they had platinum there. And uh, in the beginning, Robert Stack is talking about how platinum is actually worth more than gold, which is something I didn't know. Yeah, I knew that. It's like all that's why all the rappers want platinum on their on their chains instead of gold. Gold is so 80s, man. Yeah. So this case started out on Saturday, uh, September 12th of 1987. It began as a typical work day for Dale Kerstetter. Uh, the 50-year-old security guard and maintenance man had worked for 27 years at the Corning Glassworks plant in Bradford, Pennsylvania. Now they were talking about him and they were talking about his, uh, his uh, the job he did as an employee. And, and I thought it was kind of noteworthy because I think it was like his boss was talking about Dale was a marginal employee. And I was like, that's kind of insulting. <laughs> he was a marginal employee. He was slow. He was older. Uh, you know, if I was uh, being honest, I would say he kind of sucked. But, you know, he was an older guy and he had been with the company for a long time and he helped uh, 
He saved some people who worked in the company and saved us uh, thousands of dollars uh, one time. And they actually did. Uh, there was a forklift or something, and there was like melted super hot glass that was really close to propane tanks. And he got in the forklift and moved the hot glass away from the propane tanks and saved, uh, potentially saved a lot of lives and also a lot of uh, revenue for the company. It was almost like that guy was like trying to pull something out of his ass, though, to find something nice to say about or something good to say. About yeah, exactly. You know, like he, yeah. he didn't have much to say about him, you know, like, exactly. like like he said, he was a marginal employee, which is like one of the most uh, like like talk about condescending. You, it was yeah. Such a condescending word to use. Yeah. Marginal. Well, what what the fuck are you? Are you the boy? You the big cheese? You're more important than this guy. You know, Mr. Guy wearing a suit personnel, whatever the hell guy you are. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to get if people thought I was stupid before after hearing that last sentence. They'll really think I'm stupid now. But I mean, I don't know. Like I, 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 uh, you don't hear marginal used that much. Whenever it's used, it's used meaning like they're like very insignificant to me is what marginal means. Yeah. Like, oh, the losses were marginal, meaning like, you know, in the grand scheme of thing, not a big deal, nothing to sweat over, you know. So that's how they're describing this guy as an employee. It's like a step below average for me is marginal. (laughs) Yeah. Even though technically they mean the same thing, it's just when people use marginal, they usually use it for like below average type deal. Like the kind of student I was in high school. <laughs> that I could be said to be marginal. Well, I, I was average. I just barely uh, got through. Um, but anyway, he worked at the Corn and Glassworks plant in Bradford, Pennsylvania. At 11 p.m. on Saturday, September 12, 1987, Kerstetter began his shift as a weekend security guard. That night, $250,000 worth of platinum pipe vanished from the plant, and Dale Kerstetter was never seen again. Pound for pound, platinum is one of the most precious commodities in the world. After Dale Kerstetter disappeared, authorities were mystified. Was Kerstetter the unwitting victim of a robbery? Or had, the, or had he engineered the heist himself? By all accounts, Dale was an ordinary man. He was loved by his family and respected by his employer. I love that little touch here on this uh, <laughs> little synopsis. I didn't really get that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. His son, Al, remembered him as being very compassionate. He's just a great father. I mean, there wasn't a kid in the world that wouldn't want to have him as their dad. And the family definitely seems to be uh really defiant about this whole potential scenario that involves their father. And I, I can see why. You know, but they're just like super defiant. Like, they, no, they, no, they no way. As, yeah. This is not happening. You know, my dad is not involved in this. They reacted very typical of how families react to things on Unsolved Mysteries when their family member is at fault. They're in the denial. Any whether it be a suicide, a robbery, whatever it is, the family yeah. is usually always in a state of severe denial. There's no way, you know, whatever. That's an Unsolved Mysteries trope. Yep. It uh, is. On, on Sunday morning, September 13th, security guard John Lindquist arrived at 7 a.m. He expected to find Dale waiting to be relieved. He usually sat right inside the door and he wasn't there. So I walked in the cafeteria and I see his lunch pail sitting on the table. I happened to pick up the newspaper, and there were the keys. So then I looked in his lunch pail, and I see that everything was there. He hadn't eaten. 
which is definitely bizarre. So later that morning, Dale's pickup was Dale's pickup truck was discovered in the plant parking lot. Police were called in to investigate. The truck yielded a number of clues that suggested Dale had not disappeared voluntarily. His keys were still in the ignition, and he left behind a full carton of cigarettes, an empty gun holster from his twenty-two caliber pistol, and his day pack. I love the day pack thing. What's a day pack? Do people have night packs too? Do they have mid-afternoon packs? The only pack I know of is a fanny pack. Yeah, um, regrettably, my stepdad, he's a fanny pack guy. But hey, he always has everything. Well, you you know, you can say whatever you want about the fashion of it, but dude, when I went to Rockville, that that rock festival, I was sitting there going, you know, a fanny pack would really come in handy right now. Yeah, it would. (laughs) I mean, yeah, they are not the most fashionable things in the world, but God damn it, they are functional. So that afternoon, the sheriff's canine unit was brought in to track Dale's movement, Dale's movements in the 112,000 square foot factory. The dogs led police to the second floor. This is the site of the plant's glass furnace, also known as the tank. The tank contained the valuable platinum pipe, but was not a part of Dale's normal security rounds. Even though Dale's scent was found near the tank, he was nowhere in the building. The investigation next focused on three, three security cameras that monitor the factory around the clock. Personnel manager Patrick Foley was disturbed by what the cameras had recorded. The first thing I saw was a masked man in the back of the plant in one area. When I saw the masked man on the tape, I was very alarmed. At first I thought, there's been some foul play. Dale's involved in foul play and he probably is missing. And then Dale Kerstetter came back and met this masked person in the back of the plant. I had a very empty feeling in my stomach. I said, what on earth? And then as I continued to review the tapes, I saw the masked person come back out and go up to the tank area. And then I was extremely anxious because at the time I realized that not only do we have a missing employee, there was a good possibility that we had missing platinum in the plant. Whoever removed the platinum from the tank was extremely familiar with the plant, everything in the plant, and they knew exactly where to go. And uh, the show actually did a recreation of the security camera footage because they couldn't actually show it. And they even said that. We did a recreation of the security camera footage. And they did a great job. It's just very eerie to me, the security camera footage recreation stuff. Yeah, I like I mean, this guy in the mask, and then Dale shows up, uh, you know, out of the shadows. And, and he also, you're just like, what is going on here? Yeah, and the, then the please, guy who was interviewed or whatever, he was saying, like, not only do I have a missing employee, but we... You know, I feel like it. I feel like uh, what he was really wanting to say was not only do we have a missing employee, but more importantly, we have all this missing platinum. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but he couldn't say that. You know, he just, exactly. So to not seem like a complete corporate douchebag, he was like, you know, oh yeah, we have a missing employee, a marginal one that I don't care about, but this fucking platinum's gone. What are we gonna do? <laughs> so police cannot tell if Dale was being coerced or if he was part of the heist. At one point, he looked directly into the camera. Was Dale signaling for help, or was he coolly flaunting his crime? Patrick Foley was sure he knew the answer. Now, that whole line, I love that. Was he was he signaling for help, or was he coolly flaunting his crime? <laughs> I don't know. See, that's what this is such a puzzling case is because i don't really know for sure i mean when you watch these rec- this recreations of security camera footage i mean you it can go both ways you can be like 
well, maybe he came in and the the robber guy saw him and then, you know, put a gun on him that you see off screen and maybe that's what's going on. But that or or maybe though it seemed like they were talking. They were talking to each other. And it didn't really seem like it was very antagonistic or it was like a conversation of, you know, like move, old man, or I'm gonna shoot you. And the guy's like, No, there was none th- his body language wasn't anything like that. Well, we do know from the case uh, with certainty from watching the video and, and everything that the uh, personnel guy was saying was uh, this this guy, this masked assailant, uh, he had an extensive, extensive knowledge of the facility. He knew yeah. where the platinum was. He knew how to get at it. He, uh, they, they were talking about how it was low lighting in the uh, factory, and he still yeah, it was knew, at night. He still knew exactly where to go and, and find his way around everything. So, I mean, there's a bunch of things that it could be, and we're merely speculating at this point. But I mean, it, it could be all the way to it was a, a disgruntled, or maybe not even disgruntled, but a former employee or a current employee or current employee. And he was in cahoots with uh, Kerstetter to make it yeah. look like a robbery and they were going to split the loot or something like that. Because yeah. they also mentioned in the segment that there was some kind of a union uh, uh, benefit that Kerstetter had just been cut out of that would have... Yeah, it was uh, like six to $7,000. Yeah, $6,000. And he to was $7, really $7, proud of his uh, work. Like he was, you know, and he liked working and doing that type of, st- type of stuff. And uh, there was like machine work and stuff like that, and the he got cut out of the six to seven grand, and then also through another investigation, uh, Inspector Max J. Bizak of the Pennsylvania State Police, uh, he discovered that he was thirty to forty thousand dollars in debt. Yep, with trailer payments, vehicle payments, and different bills. And, uh, and he's older, you know. It's not like yeah. he's a spring chicken anymore who can just, oh, I can just, you know, find another good job and work there for another 30 years and build everything back yeah. up. So he might have been at a point of desperation. Maybe he's thinking uh-huh. about his family and, you know, what what can he leave them and, you know, all the other kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean... You're right on the money, though, with Patrick Foley because he's quoted here. He says, I think the fact that he did everything in front of the cameras was once again just Dale Kerstetter saying to us, look, hey, here I am. I'm taking your platinum, and there isn't a thing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That guy, that, that, you know, he clearly wanted. He clearly believes Dale did it, and he was in on it, and he was not true. Missing employee, screw that guy. He stole our platinum. <laughs> screw that bad old bastard. He sucked at being a security guard anyway. We want our platinum back. I imagine that was a huge loss for the company, but I mean, yeah, you know. So, however, Wendy Kerstetter believed her father was an innocent victim. What a surprise. According to her theory, Dale heard or saw the masked intruder and went to investigate. If he had planned on taking off anywhere, why would he bother packing a lunch? I mean, just little things like that and the whole carton of cigarettes. And he smoked all the time. I mean, he would have taken his cigarettes. Maybe he set it up to make it look like he disappeared. Exactly. I mean, don't these people don't these people watch Unsolved Mysteries at all? <laughs> it, it's like, it's like, of course, like, <laughs> Of course, uh, you know, that's like doing some fucked up shit 101 is make it look normal. Make it look like you're, you know, going in to do your job and everything's... Yeah, wh- why would he 
not pack a lunch if he was doing something wrong. That would be such an obvious signal that he was going to yeah. do something wrong, you know? So it's like, that's kind of a silly... Well, it's not It's not a silly question if you think that he's innocent, but it's like, you know, if you... Th- that's if immaterial you- evidence. Yeah. So... His son, his other son, though, who, who the just... reenactment, though, with this the theory that she has is such a low effort by the show. <laughs> There's, it's just it's super quick. It's just like the the actor playing Dale Kerstetter is just sitting there, like getting ready to eat his lunch and then he, or dinner, and then he sees in the corner of his eye this guy in a mask through a window, and then he gets up, and then it cuts. <laughs> You don't see anything else. It just, it, it's like it, it sounds like even the writers of the show were like, "Yeah, uh, we still gotta, we still gotta have the uh, family's point of view in the segment, so we gotta, you know, do this real quick." But uh, we're not gonna waste a lot of our resources on this reenactment because even we don't believe exactly the true scenario. Yeah, yeah, but you know, his son, you know, who just comes off as a complete redneck to me. Uh, his other son was like, uh, you know. I think uh, if he is still around, uh, he's either in Australia or uh, or uh, where else did he say? He was like, he's either in Canada or Australia. Yeah. He's like, I think uh, when when seven years passes and the statute of limitations runs out, he's going to come back and they won't be able to touch him. Yeah, that, that just sounds like such a redneck thing that like like one of my family members would say or something like, he stole the platinum and he probably took off to Canada or Australia or something like that. And he's going to wait for them seven years. The statute of limitations run out. And he'll come back. Police won't even be able to touch him. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, because that's totally. Yeah, that's totally so that would that. be like if you you like stole some platinum and then went off somewhere. Like, yeah, would your family yeah. members say that about you? I don't know. Or not. But I mean, I could just like I could just see him just strolling back in the town and like all the cops and like, all, you know, the company, everything. They're all just like lined down the street like a parade. And they all just have the sad look on their face like we can't touch him. It's been seven years. We can't do anything. It's they like, technically can't. I mean, what if a statute of limitations run? Out, yeah, but really I think I think when it comes to I think people the statute of limitations I think is more it's it's probably it probably they don't have concrete evidence that he was uh, the, the guy who did it. Yeah, so they just have a security camera footage, so all they have is speculation. I I just don't think they would. Drop, There's no smoking gun. I don't think they would drop that investigation if he returned. I'm not saying that they would convict or charge him with anything, but they would be yeah. knocking on his door wanting to ask some questions. Well, also, there's other things that we're talking about. Uh, they were saying there. this one definitely did make me pause. There was a shot on the security camera footage of the robber with the ski mask uh, carrying a heavy something heavy in a burlap sack or something on a, with a tarp o- or a tarp over it uh, on a hand truck. And the, the the police have two different theories. So like, okay, it could be the platinum or it could also it might be Dale. I'm so I'm I'm going to go with it was most definitely the platinum. Yeah, I mean the Dale but I mean the thing also is Dale hasn't shown up. Which is yet another, you know, yet another reason why I didn't think it was Dale, because Unless unless he got the Dave Box treatment and was thrown into a schmelter or something like that, you know, I, yeah. I, I think they would have found his body by now because 
you know, you're as a as somebody, you know, I think you a- meant to say earlier that you think it is Dale. Because you were saying, like, I, I def- this is why I don't think it's Dale, you know, like that type of thing. I think you, you think it's Dale, right? The bot, what, in the sack? Well, I mean, oh, you think Dale did it. Yeah, my bad. I'm an idiot. All right. <laughs> I'm the idiot this time. Uh, we take turns. Yeah, we do. We take turns being dumbasses. But, anyway, you know, we're only human. But, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know for sure, but... In the back of my head, my gut feeling is that 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 wasn't Dale. That was the Platinum. I feel the same way. Yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of a short segment, but it was full of uh, interesting theories. Yeah, the family, they're interviewed again. Uh, Whether Dale Kirsted or committed the crime or not, his daughter Wendy and the rest of, of his family are anxious to know if he is still alive. He He had six kids, two grandkids. And to do something like that and take off and not call any of them, you know, just take off and never talk to your kids again, I, I just can't believe it. Well, as of uh, a few episodes ago, we now have precedent for that with uh, Alex Cooper. Yeah. You know, he did that. He did just that. That's what I'm saying. When I said earlier about the uh, Craig Williamson and this these unbelievable things that you would think there's no way, you know, I mean, just look at Alex Cooper. He just leaves up and leaves his family and disappears, and then. But with him, they actually tracked him down, and it wasn't amnesia. There was something else going on. But yeah, you know, I mean, like people do these crazy things sometimes, and and sometimes, and you know, uh, Dale was probably around the same age as Alex Cooper, so maybe it mm-hmm. had something to do with his pension or his retirement or something. And robbery in this in his case, maybe he felt like that was the only way that he was gonna. Yeah, make it, you know, financially. So, who? I mean, that's that's definitely the side that I'm leaning towards with this case. So, you know, I mean, it's just the thing we he, nothing, not a single thing related to Dale has shown up since then. Yeah, and I mean, if he's such a menial employee, as they say, maybe he wouldn't exactly have the smarts to like stow away in the Cayman Islands. You know, I mean, you kind of have to. Have, yeah. Kind of have to be a crafty bastard to really exactly. pull that stuff off. Or maybe he's more smart. That he's smarter than he looks. Like I think one of the cops actually was saying things like that. He's, he's, you know, or one of the employees, or you know, he's a. They were saying he was a good crafty guy. You know, he's, he, you know, he's pretty smart. He's so crafty. <laughs> Did that make you cringe a little inside? Yeah, a little bit. I thought you were gonna do a version of. Uh, the fancy song with with crafty instead of fancy. God, what what happened to fucking Iggy Azalea? She was like uh, she was like the the shit to every not to me but to like everybody in like 2014. Now you like don't even hear about her anymore. I'm so fancy. You already know. God, that song was annoying. Uh, as a DJ, I, I like I, Weird Al, I like Weird Al's uh, parody. Yeah, it's pretty good. Handy. Yeah, say habla espanol. <laughs> it was funny, and no one knows what we're talking about unless you do know what we're talking about. That sentence. And you're in the club. All right, let's move on to our final uh, segment of the podcast, which is a new the thing. New here. segment. New segment, and it is called News of the Bazaar. And that's where we talk about 
bizarre news, odd news, weird things, things that you may not have heard of, things that you may have heard of, and you would like to hear me and Mike's take on it. These are articles culled from the internet and from the depths of hell, some of them at least. Um, we're beginning with our first article here that I found that I thought was very fucking bizarre. And the uh, headline is, Teen Found Hanged with I Hate My Brother Written on Her Arm. Uh, <laughs> already diving into bizarre stuff here. This was originally published uh, by The Sun newspaper. Um, 13-year-old schoolgirl was found hanged at her home with I Hate My Brother written on her arm after the pair argued because she didn't wake him for work, oh, a coroner's God. inquest heard. Uh, Bethany Fitton from Hebden Bridge, a small town 200 miles north of London, was found by her 18-year-old brother, Ben, who desperately tried to save her before she died in the hospital. An inquest was told that the pair had an argument in June of last year after Ben slept in and Bethany failed to wake him for work. At school that day, she doodled on her left arm in ink, I hate my brother. Bradford Coroner's Court heard she regularly scribbled on herself. Coroner's inquests are con uh, convened when the cause of death is unknown. In such circumstances, a jury has presented evidence to determine who died, where they died, and uh, how they died, and when. After her final class, Bethany went to meet her new boyfriend, and the pair went to walk in a local park before she, was, she caught the bus home. Her mom, Estelle Fitton, had her tea waiting for her shortly after 6 p.m., and she took the meal upstairs to her room where she started playing music. Fitton said her daughter was social media mad, using Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and Kick. And what he, the fuck is Kick? Kick is like a instant messaging service that mainly like kids use. That's why, okay. that's why you don't... Uh, the reason I know about it is when I did... My video on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, yeah. On uh, uh, Tinder and spam bots, I, I, uh -huh. I actually learned what kick was after doing that video. Uh, <laughs> she even moved her mattress into the spare bedroom to be closer to the Wi Fi router. Um, I mean, I can understand that to a certain extent if you do a lot of you know, online shit. Estelle recounted that her husband, Richard, was at work and Ben had gone to the movies with his girlfriend. The inquest heard that when Ben returned home at about 7.30 p.m., he was given a basket of laundry to take upstairs by his mom. The teenager had to go through Bethany's bedroom to get to the staircase that leads to his room, and he found his sister hanging. Ben began giving her CPR while paramedics rushed to the scene, and Bethany was taken to the Cal Calderdale Royal Hospital in Halifax before being transferred to Leeds General Infirmary. That is such a weird uh, structure for a I know. building. I know. That's what I thought, too. Like, he's got to go take the laundry upstairs through his sister's room to get... I mean, talk about a lack of privacy on her part. Like, your brother or sibling has to go through your room to get to their own room? That kind of sucks. Despite attempts to save her life, Bethany's brain had been starved of oxygen, and she uh -huh. died three days later on June 25th. Ben told police that they regularly squabbled about silly little things and said the argument that morning had been a four on a scale of one to ten. I thought that was kind of funny that he, like, rated it to the police. It was, it was like a four, man, on a scale of one to ten. It was like a four. He said, I knew she had written something, but I was not aware of what she had written. She often used to scribble things on her arm like pictures or notes. Estelle said in a statement 
read to the court that she had walked their family dogs with Bethany the previous evening and her daughter was happy doing cartwheels and handstands as they chatted. Jesus, that's a little overly happy. Uh, <laughs> <Whee>! <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing so good, Mom! Woohoo! Uh, that talked- sounds made up almost, yeah, to be well, perfectly honest. Shit. Uh, so they had talked about how Bethany now spent more time in her room than she used to, and she answered, Mom, I'm a teenager. Or I guess, Mom, I'm a teenager. Uh, she described Bethany as reliable and, and a capable girl with a lot of common sense. Richard Fitton said his daughter had loved pony riding as a youngster and still slept with a comfort blanket despite beginning to fuss over hair and makeup like any normal teenage girl. Richard said, I cannot understand why Bethany has done this. This is the last thing I ever expected to happen. It was out of the blue. I mean, you could classify that statement as your no-shit Sherlock statement of the century there, uh, it being out of the blue. Uh, Bethany's school record showed she was a good and outstanding student in many subjects. Her doctor told the inquest she was making that difficult transition between being a child and being an adult. Pediatric pathologist Dr. Marta Cohen carried out a post-mortem and found Bethany suffered a heart attack due to hanging, causing hypoxia to the brain. Assistant coroner Peter Merchant said that although Bethany had hanged herself, she had left no suicide note and he could not be satisfied she intended to take her own life. Uh, He said despite that morning's argument and the message on her arm, Bethany and Ben were normal siblings. There's simply no explanation given to why Bethany would do what she did on that day. The coroner recorded an open verdict. Um, that, that statement that um, she left no suicide note and he could not be satisfied that she intended to take her own life. Well, was she doing some kind of autoerotic asphyxiation? I mean, geez, you know, I mean, that's the well, only I mean, other conclusion. Yeah, they don't always leave suicide notes. I mean, I hate my brother on my arm. I mean, I don't think that was necessarily the note, per se. Like, oh, I hate my brother so much, I'm going to kill my- myself. That makes no sense. Um, this is definitely news of the bizarre, because, like, why, yeah. why, why, why? Why did she do that? Why did she? I don't know. But you know, actually. I have no idea. It's really, it's really bizarre that this story comes up, because I just had a memory that I had forgotten about. I'm not going to name any names, you know, out of respect for the family, but I, I know this, uh-huh. this guy, and he is, uh, I think he's a few years younger than me, he's in his 20s, he actually had a sister growing up, and uh, she went to uh, this, this uh, middle school or high school or whatever, and uh, a lot of people knew her, and she was pretty well liked and everything, um, she actually did the same thing one day, and he found her. Uh, one day uh-huh. he went into the bathroom and she was uh, apparently hanging from the uh, curtain rod, and she died. She killed herself. There was no note as well. The, and again, in that same situation, that nobody knew. Yeah. Why she did it to this day, nobody knows why. She maybe did. maybe these are uh, young girls who have some undiagnosed psychiatric sort of condition, and. They're, they've been dealing with some sort of depression or some kind of uh, a mental illness that hasn't been diagnosed yet, and then that might be why they took their own life. It's really easy to hide, you know. Like for when family, when when family members say, "Oh, they seem so blah blah blah," then you don't know. You you have no idea, like no. If they, what they were going through. They could have been putting on the bravest face in the world for you just so you don't 
get concerned and you don't because right now like I get depressed from time to time but if I also tell my mom and dad yeah I get I'm depressed and blah blah especially living out on my own they'd be so worried about me all the time like I don't want to do that to them so I just keep all that shit to myself you know or I I tell my friends about it I don't tell you know because your friends don't care as much about you as your parents do so your friends can kind of take it and and well I don't know some of my friends I would say I, I, they're very close. Yeah, as much as your parents, though? Uh, some of them are even closer than some of my parents, to be perfectly honest. Oh, wow. Well, you have really close friends. My parent or my friends are all, uh, more, uh, me-oriented. They like talking about themselves, and they like, you know, discussing themselves, and, and it's kind of one of the, I don't have a lot of close friends right now, if you haven't been able to notice. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it may not. My my two best friends, they may not be local, but uh, a lot of them, they'd be like even my uh, my really my closest friend, Matt, like he this even said that he would trust me with his life. So, I mean, that's that's as close as you can get. That's that's the kind so, of relationship uh, a, a love for Sylvester Stallone will bring to a relationship. <laughs> And more than just that, but yeah, um, but yeah, it is, it is, it is just, it is bizarre. The I hate my brother thing, like that's the that's the extra thing that just puts it over the edge into bizarre all land. And it's got to make the brother feel like absolute shit. Oh yeah, for the rest oh, of his life, God. you know. God damn, what a, what a what a dick move on her part to like put that on him before she like hung herself you know yeah. i hate my brother oh great now now you fuck his life up too you know now yeah. he gets to live with that so let's move on you see that just shows you how you know suicide is just this quick th- it just boom i mean a lot of people aren't thinking things through when they do that it's yeah. just an impulse yeah and you know god for- a deadly impulse god forbid us talk about it any further because we're most definitely going to offend several people if we do i mean you know i, I- Whatever. I don't think I said anything that was offensive. Dude, I don't think but, I said know. anything offensive anymore either, but apparently, uh, you know, the reviews still keep The going. next one, you know, <laughs> we're going to get people really offended now uh, with uh, our thoughts on this one. This is a fairly recent uh, news bit of news. It's bizarre. I wouldn't say it's as bizarre as the other one, but it's bizarre because of how pe- the reaction is to it by some people and also just what happened. So the 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 subtitle or the headline is Teen Dies from Excessive Caffeine After Drinking Mountain Dew Latte and Energy Drink. Caffeine will kill ya! <laughs> hey, uh, I actually so, get that reference. It, it's Jim Carrey from Batman uh, Forever. Yeah. Hey, look at me getting references. Caffeine will so, kill ya! Yeah. So a 16-year-old boy has died from an overdose after drinking soda and energy drink and coffee. Now, first, they're like, they're as vague as possible with it. And then it goes more into more detail. And then you're like, well, this kid's a dumbass. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I just, oh, I'm triggered. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to censor myself with this kind of thing or be politically correct. This is stupid. This should be a warning to other kids. Don't be like this dumb kid. Do not do this. Some shit is just dumb, folks. And there's no no reason to censor yourself or to just not be honest about it. Because that doesn't help anything. 
You don't learn anything by saying everything that everybody does is right and okay all the fucking time. Jesus. No. People fuck up sometimes. So on Monday, Coroner Gary Watts confirmed in a news conference that Davis Allen Cripp of South Carolina collapsed at Spring Hill High School on April 26th after drinking a large Mountain Dew, a McDonald's latte, and an energy drink all within two hours. Now, yes, I've heard people say that's the equivalent of a, a normal adult drinking a cup of coffee in the morning, but I, I don't. It's different here because this is a younger kid. Also, uh, apparently, well, there's extra stuff. That, there's extra. Stu- there's extra stuff that's left out here. This kid had a, a precondition. He had a heart issue. So yeah, he had a regular heartbeat. So uh, he should not have been drinking this shit to begin with. So. But yeah, a large Mountain Dew, like, where? From what fast food place? If this was at a movie theater, that's an insanely large amount of Mountain Dew. If you and and all the, all these different fast food places, they have different sizes. Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Their larges are different. Dude. I mean, you go to Carl's Jr. That's a huge ass amount of Mountain Dew. That would be uh, Hardee's over here for us uh, Easterners. Yeah. So a McDonald's latte, an energy drink. Like well, how big is this, this energy I, drink? I did some research on uh, caffeine and energy drinks uh, last week because I I was trying to do this music podcast, which yeah. uh, I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. Uh, keep you updated if it does. Um, You're trying to do another podcast like I was trying. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to doing it either. Yeah, it's, just... it's, it's hot. Dude, it's, it's <laughs> like so much. There's, you know, it's like I have like my plate's pretty full right now, so I don't I don't know. Um Anyway, I, I had an energy drink before. I had a, one of those white monster energy drinks before okay. I did the podcast. And it did kind of wake me up a bit. And then after, dude, I just felt so, like, bad. I had yeah. I had a bad crash from it. And it, like, yeah. it was so bad. And it doesn't always affect me like this, but it did this this day. For some reason, It it I just had, like, it made me have a panic attack. Like, I just my brain got thrown off kilter and so i started looking into it and um those energy drinks like they they don't really they don't really know a lot about like how it affects people long term like there's still no. and especially uh it, it affects i mean scientifically proven it affects younger kids more intense yes, than it does adults. exactly exactly so when an adult takes this amount of caffeine it's different it has a different effect than it would on a 16-year-old. And if anything comes out of this, I hope more people are educated on... I I wouldn't say... I'm not blaming the drinks for this. They're not the cause of this. Um, It's the decisions the kid made. And then in some parts, I mean... I, I mean, there's only so much parenting you could do. I mean, there's only so much... You can't be eyeing your kid like a hawk all the time keep a track of everything he drinks and everything he eats or everything he does. So that's a difficult thing to pin on the parents. But I mean, you know, if they could have done a little bit extra, they probably should have, but we don't know what they did or what they didn't do. But with the kid, it was just dumb on his part. There's no need for that. I mean, there's no need for that much caffeine in that short amount of time. 
I mean, just I, I think the whole combination of drinking a, a, a latte, which any... A, even when I was like 10 years old, I knew coffee woke people up and it had caffeine in it. I mean, anybody who would combine the, the whole latte energy drink thing was what really... Because, you know, okay... Well, and then on top of it, the large Mountain Dew. Well, I could see, like, maybe you have a large Mountain Dew and a latte, or a large Mountain Dew and an energy drink. I, I don't even know. I wouldn't even recommend that. No, I, mean, I, I these wouldn't drinks either, but I'm just saying sell. I could see it happening. But They're not bad for... They're not, like, going to kill you if you drink one can... And and, and P, uh, different people have different metabolisms and different ways of uh, different tolerances. I mean, different tolerances. If an adult, a fifty-year, a fifty-year-old adult who's drank you know two or three cups of coffee for like the past thirty years, if they had had this same combination, they'd probably be alive and well. They might be jittery as fuck, but you know, yeah, a sixteen-year-old kid. Uh, which, judging by his Instagram, you know, he's standing next to this new car, and it says, 16 is pretty gosh darn lit. It's like, this is just a dumbass. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it's your typical teenager, you know, saying stuff like that, but it's it's almost like, this is almost like the, the type of kid you would, you would expect to drink an energy drink, a large Mountain Dew, and a McDonald's latte, you know. I want to get pumped! Yeah! You know, like, you almost expect this to happen. The kid, you know, oh, like, God. saying things like... Two or sixteen is pretty gosh darn lit. If you're just don't don't use the word lit. Just, and don't and don't and don't mix it with gosh darn. You're right. You know. I mean, you're 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 being like suburban. You know, church boy there by says gosh darn, and then you're going all like you know edgy uh, 2017. You know, oh, rapper there with uh, lit. You know, uh, so yeah, that's that. That's the. Are we do we want to read any more into this story, or is that the main thing we want to? Well, mention? there's some extra. There's some extra stuff. I mean, um, we lost Davis from a totally legal substance. Watts said, according to Columbia local news station WLTX, Cripe was totally against drugs and he was totally against alcohol. He didn't do any of that. Watts added, "These drinks can be very dangerous. I'm telling my friends and family, don't drink them." <laughs> And that's fine. You can tell. That's you, fine. You, you can, you can say, say that. Drink it, but, but don't blame them at the same time. Don't blame them. Yeah. Don't blame the drinks for this. It's like the people who are blaming video games for, you know, some of the horrific crimes that some of these crazy people commit. You know, it, and they just happen to be big fans of Doom or something. That'd be like when Kurt Cobain like blew his head off with a shotgun. That'd be like them blaming the shotgun. Not Kurt Cobain's decision to load the shotgun and pull the trick. You know what I mean? But I mean, it, it is true, though, that teens are consuming more caffeine than ever before. According to a study of children in ninth and 10th grades published in the Journal of Nutrition, Education and Behavior, according to the study, 44.6% consumed caffeinated drinks one to six times per week. 114 consumed caffeine every day and a mere 4.8 never touched caffeine. The reason to feel more alert and study harder and longer. And soda isn't always the culprit. Research published in the journal Pediatrics revealed that children are swapping the fizzy stuff for more energy drinks than even coffee. In fact, the study found that 73% of children, yes, children, include caffeine in their daily consumption. Yeah, you know, whatever. I think that in moderation, like anything else, it's perfectly fine. I mean, I don't know if... Ch I think children shouldn't be drinking co uh, caffeine... I never needed cat, uh, you know. Yeah, I think it's okay in small doses, like a soda or something well, yeah, or whatever. Soda, um, but I don't think drinking energy drinks, especially after a fucking latte. I, I, I'm just, 
you know, you can call me an ass all you want to, but I mean, what he did was just stupid. It was dangerous. Oh, and by the way, Yahoo. It was absolutely 100% unnecessary. Yahoo News, I, I don't appreciate you uh, putting a can of Coke Zero up, an, an overhead view of a can of Coke Zero <laughs> as your icon for, uh, so, you know, this kid dying oh from soda. I don't appreciate that. Mr. Coke Zero fan over here. As I'm drinking one right now, <laughs> god damn it. Uh, kids shouldn't be drinking caffeine at all, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, due to caffeine negatively affecting their growing neurological and cardiovascular systems. Never affected me at all. I mean, I'm fine. I think I'm fine anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, they said the coroner stated that Kripe was a healthy young man with no medical history that would have had an impact on his caffeine consumption. Uh, I, I, oh, I guess. Okay. Still says he's young. Uh, in, it's in the realm of possibility that a person, young person consumes so much caffeine that the heart begins beating erratically, ultimately preventing blood from reaching the brain. So maybe he didn't have a pre-existing condition. That might be wrong. But at the same time, this kid must have been doing this over and over again. This is not something where he just drank this combo and then just dropped dead one day. All I know is if you eat a whole tub of ice cream and then chase it with a Snickers bar and some pizza, you're going to get fat and eventually die from a heart problems. If you, you know, if you cover yourself in gasoline and walk near a candle, you're going to catch on fire. If you drink a fucking latte, which has more caffeine in it than a cup of coffee anyway, a large Mountain yeah. Dew, which has more caffeine in it than a normal soda does, and a fucking uh -huh. energy drink, which not only has caffeine in it, but it has B12 and B10 and all these other, uh, like ginseng and all this other stuff that, that makes your heart rate go up, niacin, riboflavin, you're probably not going to have a very good experience. You, you, and you might even die, which is what happened in this yeah. case. Which it is doesn't mean that everyone's going to die if they make that combo be, or take that combo because there's other people that can do it and they're fine. But, everyone's different. But at the same but time, I'm, don't try it. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Don't do it. All right, it's not smart. Let's move on to our final thing here because uh, I'm actually running short on time, so i got to head out soon. <laughs> Yeah, this I know. One, it's, it's hard to even say it. <laughs> this about a guy who claims that he was claims that he was sexually molested by Bigfoot. Oh God! <laughs> and they actually show the guy. And, yeah. it, and, 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 and I don't know, man. Call me fucked up if you want. It makes it funnier when you see what the guy looks like. <laughs> Daryl Whitaker from Glenwood Springs in Colorado claims a Sasquatch attacked him and attempted to rape him while he was walking in the woods. The 57-year-old man was walking to his hunting cabin on Sunday to see if it had suffered any damage during the winter. Then all of a sudden, a large gorilla-like gorilla creature dropped from a tree in front of him and punched him in the face. Gorilla that's punch. funny. That's just, that's just funny in itself. So what? Yeah, what's going on here? It's going, dude, dude's walking to my cabin. Whoa! Holy shit! A gorilla. <laughs> uh, it was at least eight foot tall, and it punches hurt like hell. I was knocked right out at the first blow. 
While Mr. Whitaker was trying to recover from the attack, the large humanoid creature began to tear his clothes while letting out some terrifying howls. Oh, it's getting sexy now. When I regained consciousness, he had already torn my pants and, and was tearing through my underwear. I stabbed him in the shoulder with my hunting knife, and that made him run away. Mr. Whitaker immediately reported the attack to both the Glenwood Springs Police Department and the Colorado's Par Colorado, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Agency, and a joint investigation has been launched. Daryl Whitaker is convinced that the creature who attacked him was a Sasquatch, but the GSPD investigators say it's more probable that the attacker is simply a particularly large and hairy man. <laughs> oh my god. They're currently interrogating nearby residents to see if anyone noticed an individual corresponding to the description of the suspect. According to the victim, the attacker measured around eight foot tall and is extremely hairy. He has brown hair, dark brown eyes, and extremely large feet. If you possess any information concerning the suspect, please contact the Glenwood Springs Police Department or the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Agency. Can you imagine if Robert Stack like covered case, ridiculous cases like this on Unsolved Street? God, I mean, what 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 else can you really say about this? I mean, we got to We got to post it a picture. total bullshit. And it probably is. I mean, it's, you know, it could be it, this is from like some world news daily report dot com site. So for all I know, it could be just bullshit news. But even if it even if it isn't true, it's still it's still bizarre news and it's funny. Yeah, it reminds me of the National Enquirer. Like when I was a kid, I would see, um, you know, the National Enquirer in the grocery store checkout, you know. And I remember with my grandma one time, we were uh, checking out and um, it, it, the front headline was Uf uh, it, UFOs take pictures of heaven. And I say to my grandma, I was like, Gran Granny, they uh, they say the UFOs or aliens have taken picture uh, pictures of heaven. And my grandma goes, good, now we can finally see what it looks like. <laughs> she, she, like, didn't skip a beat. I thought that was kind of funny. Well, I mean, the guy is also in Colorado. You know, weed is legal there. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll tell you what, I was smoking some good shit, and uh, I decided to go hunting. And then uh, before I knew it, this son of a bitch, eight foot tall, he punches it, hurt like hell. I was knocked right out the first blow, I tell you what. When I regained consciousness, he had already torn my pants and was tearing through my underwear. I stabbed him in the shoulder with my hunting knife, and that made him run away. I was sexually assaulted by a Sasquatch, I tell you what. <laughs> I mean, is it... Was it... Was it a male like like what if, what if maybe it was a female maybe she thought he was attractive and was like i want i want to procreate with you and or i love something. how they say that the the uh colorado parks and wildlife agency was like no it wasn't a sasquatch it was just a big hairy naked man <laughs> <laughs> like that happens all the time yeah it happens all the time out here he's 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 a friendly guy sometimes a little too friendly that's oh just gosh. hairy that's just hairy it's a hairy situation it, it, he, he means you no harm. Oh, Harry, yes. I get an, another movie reference. I actually get Harry and the Hendersons. I loved that movie growing up. He now, just gets a bit too excited. You know, funny story. Harry and the Hendersons, that's the first time, as a kid, that's the first time I ever heard the word holy shit. <laughs> it was in that movie. Shit. Holy really? shit. Really? <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Yeah, yeah, it was the first time I heard it. Like, Because uh. I was then I asked my mom, I was like, you know, is this a bad word? She goes, no. Is this a bad word? I was just throwing out words. And I go, is holy shit a bad word? She goes, oh, Joshua! <laughs> like, I always remember that shit. I, th I thought you would be like, 
Uh, Mom, what's holy shit? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I hated, I hated as a kid knowing that there were things that existed out there in the world that I wasn't supposed to know about. I hated yeah. that feeling as a kid. I wanted to know everything. I want, and I'm still like that today. I'm an information whore. I love information. I love if there's something I don't know, a word I don't know, uh, a phenomenon I don't know about, uh, a movement that's going on. I want to know. I want to learn. You know, I'm very. So you're like Johnny number Johnny five. Inputs. Input. input. More inputs. More, I am more yep. inputs. <laughs> Stephanie, it's alive. Uh. Come and follow me. Number eleven is nothing to. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, folks, we're nearing the end, but before we do, per use, I feel it's necessary that you learn about, uh, your fellow listener because you never know who your neighbors are, and, uh, sometimes some interesting things happen to your, uh, fellow listener, and you should know about it. Now, this time around, we were talking about one of our listeners, and by the way, and I haven't really plugged anything this time around... If you want to find us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, you can contribute to us, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries, same exact name. Um, and there's some bonus tiers in said um, uh, Patreon account. This is the $5 tier. If you contribute $5 a month, you uh, not only get the podcast early, but you also get... To tell me about a crazy story that happened to you, and I will share it on the air. And this happened to our Patreon supporter, Jessica Yawn. I know I'm butchering your last name. I'm sorry. Uh, she actually lives in Tapai, Taiwan, which I'm sure I also butchered the pronunciation of that. Uh, Taiwanese listener. Very, very nice. Um, anyway, she told me the story that, that happened to her, and it was so crazy. It was a crazy story. And I just have to share it. She told me this in confidence. She didn't want anyone to know, but I'm sorry, Jessica. I have to let people know. Um, in April of 2009, the U.S. container ship uh, Maersk, uh, Alabama, it uh, it set sail towards its destination on a day that seemed like any other day. And then suddenly, Taiwanese pirates raced towards this vessel. Now, the captain of said vessel is one Jessica Yan. So these Taiwanese pirates are racing towards this vessel and they actually climb aboard. It became a hostage situation. So she's looking to protect her crew from the hostile invaders. But they had a leader named Muse. That was the leader of the Taiwanese pirates. Um... And she goes through all kinds of... There's all kinds of stuff that went down on this ship. Uh, you know, they tried to take uh, control of the ship. Uh, Jessica had to use uh, all kinds of wit to outsmart these Taiwanese pirates. Um, eventually, or... Well, these pirates were after... It was, it was an extortion attempt. These pirates were after dollars, you know, millions of dollars. They wanted some ransom. So Jessica had to um, use, like I said, use her wits to make sure everybody survived and returned home safely, which did eventually happen. The government became involved and was actually able to lure these pirates out onto another vessel, and they thought they'd be safe, but eventually some sharpshooters came in, bam, right through the head, blew these fuckers' heads off. 
Barely missing Jessica, mind you, because she was in the vessel as well. I mean, that's how trained the government was with these sharpshooters. So she made it through, thank goodness. But that was crazy. I can't believe that happened. I'm glad she's okay. I'm glad, you know, I don't know if she's still captain's uh, ships for Maersk or however you pronounce it. But um, I'm glad you're okay, Jessica. It's a crazy story. Um, did it happen? Did it not happen? I don't know. I'm going off of what she told me. If you want a story, consider contributing to our Patreon. Uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, you can find me and Mike on YouTube. Uh, Mike's channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does movie reviews. And he recently, didn't you do a recently OCP tries video where you tried some food? Well, I, it was part of a vlog, but then most recently I reviewed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh, nice. And that's then... Garbage. Yeah, and then I did uh, upload a part one of a podcast that I, I did with a good friend of mine about uh, Sylvester Stallone films, and we talked about his uh, infamous porno movie, uh, The Italian Stallion. <laughs> I gotta listen to that later on. Uh, so yeah, me and Mike are both uh, moonlighting with uh, other podcasts. Uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I just put out a video actually documenting my Robert Stack tattoo that I got on my left arm, the full sleeve. I, I show. Yeah. Yeah. This guy over here. Who's a, such a casual. Oh fan yeah. Just show. casual fan. Me and Mike are just casual fans. Um, me especially. I don't actually know who this is on my arm. You know, I'm just such a casual fan on Unsolved Mysteries, you know. We're referring to a bad review where someone accused us of being casual fans of the show, which is so the, the most laughable phrase I've ever heard in my life. Um, but yeah, that's my YouTube channel. You should run over there and check out that video. Yeah, definitely check that out. I mean, it is impressive. 30, that 30 tattoo hours, is amazing. 30 hours of abuse and pain and torture. Um, and then, yeah, also remember to check out our uh, one of our listeners, Zachary Weber, his podcast, uh, Star Wars Junk Podcast, where I made an appearance on there. And uh, again, Mike, you need to get on that. So that's all the time we have for to this week. I hope everybody stays safe and secure and all that shit. Bye. See ya. There are some more outtakes, so... <laughs> Alright, I guess I caught Mike masturbating just then, because he was like, ugh, and then he hung up on me. Well, Mike sucks at life. That is one thing I can say with all certainty. Oh, God, this fucking video from Yahoo. God. From the Teen Dies video, the Teen Dies link from oh. uh, Caffeine. It started playing this fucking video out of nowhere. Let me turn my audio off so I don't hear that shit because I'm pulling up the same exact article. Oh yeah, this shit. This shit's like typical now of uh, any. I like. How do they? How do like? Don't websites know that like this shit drives people the fuck away from their website when they? Bombard? The other thing that really drives me away is the bullshit. Oh, turn your ad block off, otherwise we're not gonna let you look at our shitty website. Or or uh, pay. 
you have to you have to turn your ad block off or ad block off or you have to pay us to look at this article i'm like oh fuck you go fuck off <laughs> do you have ad block i don't even have that I do. It's something that's uh, and it's really honestly is a great thing to have. Yeah, it screws over some websites, but Yahoo doesn't need my fucking money anyway. <laughs> fuck. It's Firefox wanting to update. No, fuck you. You don't get a fucking update. Just work. Skype just did that update thing. Like it just updated. Yeah, it wants me to call. And then it was just update. It wants me to update, update, but I'm not going to. Well, I didn't have a choice. It just automatically updated when I, you were trying to call me. I fucking hate that shit when they don't even ask you, you know, <laughs> and they just do it. That's so, um, yeah, so I'm going to try to on a face today. I, I slept weird. My For some reason, my, one, a part of my lower back is killing me. I don't know why. So I'm just... I'm going to put on a game face and just push through it. Uh, well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm kind of hungry. So, I mean, we're both kind of <laughs> in the same exact boat, if you think about it. <laughs> so, okay, I got the Yahoo once bookmarked. I got Dale Kerstetter bookmarked. Uh, I think I need to go get Craig Williamson again real quick. I'm actually going to do like a... Uh, like I a, thought we thought that I think these were ones like both of these were ones we meant to do but never did. Like that's what I'm thinking. Like in the back of my head, they were head. mentioned, it's, but we never actually dedicated a whole like episode yeah. to any of them. All right, okay. So I guess so, we'll start with uh, Craig Williamson first, maybe, and, right. and then do Dale because I think that that one's that's fine. All right, we'll just do that then. Let me see what we. Fucking episode number... 47? Is or right? is it 48? I think it, I think it is 47. <laughs> Let's see, yeah. Yeah, you're right, it's 47. You're confusing me because of the last error, error you made. You know, <laughs> Whatever, man. This episode... Uh, that was like a nah, few episodes ago. I know. I, I'm just messing with you. It does, I'm, I'm not being serious. I'm real sensitive about that still. <laughs> All right, here we go. Christine Reinhardt of Clintonville, Wisconsin, decided to do something. Oh, fuck. I didn't like how I said that. Wisconsin. 29 07. I felt I stumbled over it. And if you're it, doing these edits, I'll just send you the audio then. <laughs> well, dude, there's going to be edits. I mean, yeah. You, oh, I know. So, I'll send you the audio. Yeah, you're just better off doing that. There, there's going to be. There's going. <laughs> I am going to fuck up. Uh, that's one problem with reading from the notes you take, uh, is you, okay, so, here we go. Christine, <laughs> get it all out now, Josh, get it all out now. Christine Reinhardt of Clintonville, Wisconsin, decided to do something. Her search for her husband, Craig, has become an all-consuming quest. Christine's quest began on September 14, 1983, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, in the motel where Craig Williamson was last seen. Christine and an, an employee checked out Craig's room where he last stayed at, and there was no signs of struggle, no signs of force en entry, nothing. Craig Williamson... Oh my god, dude, what is... Am I having a seizure right now, or a stroke? <laughs> like, I'm just... Like, I don't think you redid the opening, either. Like, you said you're... You didn't like the way you said Wisconsin, and you didn't redo that. You just jumped ahead. 
No, no, I said Christine Reinhardt of Clintonville, Wisconsin. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah? I'll just do the whole fucking thing again, whatever. <laughs> a long outtake. Uh, <laughs> you need, like, some Coke Zero or something? I'm drinking man. one right now. No, no, no. <laughs> Slap yourself in the face. I don't know. <laughs> All right, here we go. Detective Robert Johnson headed the investigation in Colorado. He was quoted as saying, I truly believe that Craig walked up to his rental car and someone came behind him and hit him on the head. And this is completely keeping in character with Craig, is that he'd get up and he wouldn't go in. Well, actually, um, okay, fuck. What the mother fuck? 3657. God fucking, it wasn't the Johnson who said that, it was the fucking wife, but I don't take good fucking notes apparently because I'm lazy. 36 something, what, 36, 37? No, it's 36, 56. Is this going to set the new record today? Oh, no, edits? no, no. The, new, the, record, uh, the record's like five edits. We're at two. <laughs> but we're off to a good start for breaking the record. Um, <laughs> all right. 